ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. last nine weeks these had been really really enjoyable <laughs> but now on today wednesday december 16th this edition of the dawn patrol we're, we're having to lick wounds yep. for the first time in quite some time um with me as always on the dawn patrol on hard to paint is my friend my brother my colleague ross jackson ross how you doing today Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Glad to be here with you as always. Uh, enjoy our Wednesdays together. Nine days till Christmas. You ready? Oh, dang. That's wild. You didn't have to do me like that, man. Bro, we are, <laughs> we are seven days from the Pelican season opener. Yes, very excited, very excited about that. That's, that's what I've been counting to. Isn't that crazy? That's what I've been counting to. I've lost all sense of time. This year it has just been that way, but this month in particular. Yeah. Um, just the amount of things that I've been doing. And I know you, you're the same, just we're so busy. It's just, yeah. how did we get to this point where right. nine days from Christmas is, I'm just, I'm glad we're almost there. I'm glad yes. 2020 for, for all of 2020. And I mean, we do this every year. We say, you know, oh, it was a rough year. 2020 has been some exceptional roughness, mm-hmm. um, but I'm looking ahead and I'm looking forward to 2021 as yeah. well. I'm excited for what it's going to bring for me and, and I believe what it's going to bring for you too. Yeah, man, it should be fun. So let's just dive right in. We got to talk about this loss to the Eagles. Um, first, let's just start off with this. They were flat. Flat. They were flat. And, flat. and we talked about this, that there was no margin for error for the Saints over the last four weeks. There, there right. was no... Um, trap game, as as people like to call it. All of these games mattered. And they went to Philly, and from snap one, they weren't there. Yeah, yeah. That know, was it's, the it's, most surprising thing for me. Yeah, it, it was the thing that's been really interesting is watching this offense numerous times throughout this season come out and, you know, have a bad first two drives, right? Go three and out, three and out, and then all of a sudden get rolling. And there's always the concern around that third drive, fourth drive of, are they going to get it right? Are they going to get it going? Is it going to happen? And this was a situation to where it just didn't. It just simply never got going. And I know Sean Payton likes to he's, he's a good coach. He he'll, he'll take the brunt he'll take the blame. He'll say, I was the reason that they came off flat. I was the reason that we lost that game. It sits like a rock in my stomach, like all of this stuff. But I mean, he dialed up shots. He called the right plays. He, he beat those coverages in terms of the play calls, things like that, particularly in the passing game, but the opportunities just didn't get taken advantage of things just weren't executed. So it's not all on coach Payton as much as he wants to try to take as much of it on it has to do with the execution of the players as well. And particularly we continue to find question marks around Taysom Hill. We did get to see him operate from a deficit, which we talked about as something that would have been, was very important to see. Um, not something you want to see, right. Cause you don't want to see them operating at a deficit at all, but it was good to see him there, particularly in the second half where really everything kind of righted 
just didn't get to just not quick enough and not sustained enough, not mm-hmm. consistent enough. Um, you saw the run defense get much better in the second half than it was in the first half. They had uh, did allow their first 100 yard rush. Well, two, two, 100 yard <laughs> rushers. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to mess it up, like really mess it up, like get your, get your foot in it. If you're going to, if you're going to mess it up and that's what they did there. Uh, that was their first 100 yard rusher. Uh, since 2017 when they gave it up to Samaji Piran at home. Um, I'll be completely honest with you, 55 games, it's pretty impressive, not going to lie, but I'm kind of glad that that streak is over because it's kind of – it doesn't it's really – It's an over it, – yeah, it doesn't yeah. really – but the individual getting 100 yards right. is not nearly as significant as things like yards per carry. How many right, attempts exactly. did they run against you? What was their team total? So, yeah. yeah, I think people got caught up in it because it's a number. And people right. like big numbers. And once it yeah. got to be big, then you, you want to see how big it'll get. Yeah. But ultimately, also, yeah. That- yeah, we're also conditioned by Drew Brees, right? Like, we love a streak. We love a streak. And nobody does those better than Drew Brees. And you've seen it time and time again. And so, you know, this was another one, right? And this was for the Saints defense, too, which doesn't often get those type of accolades and everything. And so, but look, if I'm given the option of, you know, giving up a 100-yard rusher every season, you know, one 100-yard rusher every 16 games in exchange for a better pass defense, I'll take it. I'll take it because that's essentially what you got this year. So I'm glad for that. The only issue is that you give up 100 yards to Miles Sanders or you give up 100 yards to Jalen Hurts. That's one thing. But giving up 100 yards to both of them, 246 yards on the ground total in this game, that's where you run into trouble. Um and that was one of the things that really did New Orleans in, particularly in the first half. They go down 0-17 deficit and then have to try to claw their way back from that. And that's tough for any quarterback. Nonetheless, a quarterback making their first career – or sorry, their fourth career start. Um, let's start with Taysom because there's a lot mm-hmm. to dissect with him. And Sean Payton was very blunt in his assessment of Taysom. Mm-hmm. And the, the criticisms that are there are still the same ones that we saw from week one um, of his starting. Decision-making. Um, there was a big question mm-hmm. there. So let's start with that, just his decision-making, where Sean Payton, as you said, wrote plays specifically to get guys into into position to make plays. And Taysom was slow with his reads at times, as that as has been a struggle. Um, lack touch on certain throws, particularly in the screen mm-hmm. game, where he has not been proven to be successful there. And then there was just, um, you know, you had another interception, you had the lack of ball security. It just – it was one of those games that was the real test on the road against a better defense than he had seen the previous three weeks, against a legitimate um, – a team that was relatively healthy offensively. Right. Um, and it, it, for that, it, in that first half in particular, he looked lost. Yeah. And he was also playing against a team that was rejuvenated, right? They were rallying around a first-start quarterback, a rookie quarterback. There's some excitement there. We see that all the time. It happened for the Saints themselves just a few weeks ago, the first time they had Taysom Hill start under center. But I think that when you look at Taysom Hill, the evaluation continues with him. Um, There are things that he does very well, his ability to extend plays, his ability to run, his ability to make plays with his legs. We didn't see him do a ton during this game, perhaps should have seen him actually do more. A lot of times where there's a lot of hesitation, hitching, things like that, to where he wants to keep his eyes down the field. And he mentioned after the game, he said there are times where he's on, you know, on the field and he feels like he can get, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten yards before contact, but 
he feels like he has to, you know, look downfield and those receivers are expecting to get the ball, bro. If you can get seven, eight, nine, 10 yards without contact, then go get seven, eight, nine, 10 yards without contact, like make that play. And so I think that that's some of the stuff that you're still trying to massage out of him to where, yes, we do need to see you be a passer, but also do what it is that makes you unique. Do what it is that makes you special, which is your ability to make plays with your legs. So he has to find that balance. We're still seeing him struggle to find that. Just be decisive with it, too. Because if you're going to throw, throw. If you're going to run, run. Right. It's not a process of – if if you start getting into that in your mindset of I have to get it to Mike this time, I have to get it to Alvin this time, I have to get it to, you know, Jared this time. Right. That's not how you play the game. Like you said, the opportunity Mm -hmm. that presents itself, the first real opportunity, like if it's take off, I'd rather see him take off, like you said, and get – Five, six, that's still a good play. But if you don't get 10, if you get five and you moved it forward instead of throwing an incompletion, then take the five. Yep. Stay on or ahead of schedule. Don't get behind. I mean, you saw Jalen Hurts do a great job of that. Jalen Hurts. And and the 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 knock on Jalen Hurts is much the same as the knock on Taysom Mm -hmm. Hill. Neither are very good throwing on the run. If they get outside the pocket, the better decision, unless they can replant their feet and reset their base and throw the ball is to just run. You saw Jalen be very decisive about that. There's nothing here. I'm running. (laughs) And he would run. And then every now and then you would see him pull up and throw the ball away when contain was there, but there's that you saw that you, they both have slow processing issues, Mm -hmm. uh, processing from read to read and everything. And then, so you saw them figure out ways to deal with that. You saw a lot of them creating congestion in the middle of the field in order to open up options for them. The saints do the same thing. They run a lot of those crossing concepts over the middle of the field, a lot those mesh concepts over the middle of the field. That's how they got Traquan Smith's touchdown last game. Uh, the Jared Cook touchdown against Atlanta came on the double slant. You saw the same thing, but they ended up going to the opposite side and Emmanuel Sanders touchdown. So you're seeing a lot of those same types of um, those same types of concepts pop up to where they're giving Taysom Hill things that are familiar to help him progress through those reads because he's seeing the same things a second, third, fourth time. The times where you're seeing him sort of slowly process is when you're he's seeing things for the first time and having to dissect against a coverage that he hasn't seen this particular concept against or this particular play against. It comes with being a young quarterback or not a young quarterback, but you know, an early quarterback, an early career quarterback, I guess you could say. So there's that issue that's still there. The processing reading zone coverage has been a consistent problem for him as well. He's getting a little bit better there. The Saints are figuring out ways to mitigate it with half field reads, quick reads, quick keys, things like that. Uh, you saw him go to Alvin Kamara more in this game than he has gone to him probably in the first three games combined with 10 targets. Uh, but as you mentioned, a little bit too much ball velocity, not enough ball control, touch, you know, spot passes, things like that. Still very much a struggle for him. So you want to see those things improve. And the other thing that I want to mention real quick that you saw mm-hmm. that you didn't get to see him struggle with, but that is very important that we didn't see it at all is running an up-tempo, no huddle, two minute drill at the end of that first half. Sean Payton didn't just choose not to do that. That's something we haven't seen Taysom Hill do before because he doesn't have the experience doing that, whether it's practice or in game, he doesn't have that in his repertoire yet. That's something you would like to see him add. I'm not saying he can't add it. I'm not saying that they're avoiding it because he's bad at it. I'm just saying it's not in his repertoire right now. And it wasn't in that game Sunday against Philadelphia. That's why you didn't see it. It would be interesting to see if it's there this weekend. 
And, and one of the, thing, the things about a two-minute offense is not only in a lot of those situations you send in with two plays to call, whether and and you're, that's asking Taysom again to make a read at the line, which is something that comes with experience, not right. something that he just can do very easily. I'm sure there are limited options for him to to uh, audible at the line of scrimmage. And right. then on top of that, there is some ability to to know what your receivers are going to do in scramble situations or in those situations where you're just familiar that, that and okay. that comes with timing and and repetition and again he, where would he have had the opportunity to consistently run two minute drills over the last few weeks in practice they're just trying to get him competent and build on the regular passing game. Right. This isn't where two-minute work is done. They do it in practice. I'm not saying they don't do it in practice, but they can't emphasize it the way that they would exactly. in an off-season. Exactly. And the thing about that, about you know those two-minute drills, too, is that you see the same coverage over and over again. And right now, he's struggling against particular coverages. If you're forcing them into a coverage that he's struggling against, how effective is that two-minute drill actually in the first place? And so I think that that's another big part of it, is that until you see him get more comfortable against both zone and man coverages, you might not see that two-minute drill come in. Because if they get caught going up, if he gets caught running a two-minute drill against zone, what are you really, really, really achieving? You know what I mean? And so there, there's a lot of different things to weigh in terms of what that situation is, how that works situationally, game flow wise and, and, and everything around it. But it'll be interesting to see if that gets added to his repertoire, because all of these things you're looking, you're still looking to see him improve. There's not really anything that I can point at and say, he's getting worse at this, right? He's been inconsistent no. with his ball security. He's been inconsistent with certain things. Yes. But there's nothing that I can say, okay, he's worse at that now than he was in his first start against Atlanta. But out of the four games, I think we would say that this is the the worst of the four. Mm-hmm. I think this was this was even uh, like you know people look at the performance against Denver and the seven for fourteen and whatnot. But that was the game plan. It wasn't intended for him to really right. do a lot in this one. He was asked to do certain things and he wasn't able in this situation. And that's that. I want to yes. make sure that we keep emphasizing that that we are not making a concrete judgment on Taysom Hill. We're just saying. In this situation, in this game, he was unable to do certain things. That's correct. This was the worst performance that you have seen from him in terms of what he returned on what he was asked to do. That's simple evaluation of how he played in this specific game. We've seen him be better than that. Um, this right now so far is kind of you know the, the, the bottom of the barrel in terms of what he's produced thus far. So now the next step is to see, can he be better than that? Can he, can he get back up, right? We talked about how we wanted to see him, see if he has sort of that, that killer mentality at the end of a game. Can he put a game away? We've seen some struggles with that. We wanted to see if he can operate at a deficit, right? He did, actually. I thought he operated pretty well at a deficit, but unfortunately there were just key moments in that game that didn't allow them to be able to really capitalize on that. We want to know what it's like when he, can he bounce back from adversity, for instance? There was his adversity. How does he bounce back moving forward? All of those are telltale signs just as much as can you throw the ball? And you want to see if he can generate explosive plays. That's a, right. that's part of the thing that's supposed to be the difference going forward for him and Breeze mm-hmm. is his arm talent is supposed to be able to give the Saints the opportunity to generate explosive plays. There were not a lot of explosive plays in this game. And when you get to 38 attempts, and that happens when you're in a deficit, but for Taysom Hill to be at 38 attempts – that's not where you right. want to be. It, it's yeah. just, it, it, it's a bad sign if he's gotten up to that many and it just, yeah. it works against him because 
the Eagles were able to key on those things, even as their offense slowed down uh, in the second half. There's something I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. When it comes to regard to Taysom's running, because that's been something that was asked about Sean Payton in the press conference mm-hmm. yesterday. It's something that people talked about during the game, having more called runs for Taysom. The running game as a whole wasn't great, but when it comes specifically right. to Taysom um, and, and comparing him to Jalen Hurts, Taysom to me is a guy who is a quarterback that can run much like a um, Dante Culpepper, yes. uh, Ben Roethlisberger, mm-hmm. but with more speed than a Roethlisberger, obviously, right. but much like Dante Culpepper, he's a guy like, I see the straight line, boom, I'm hitting yeah. that line. And I, I want to take people down and use my physicality because I'm not elusive. Taysom right. Hill is not an elusive runner. Right. He is a strong runner, a powerful runner. Whereas a guy like Jalen Hurts, and we saw it, he can make a guy miss and yes. continue to create something. Um, so for there are some limitations that come when you are not an elusive mm-hmm. quarterback runner. It has to come in situations where plays essentially break down or you're calling QB draws or you're getting off on a, a specific rollout. Um do you do you view it that way as well? Do you see those kind of things that I'm yeah. seeing? Yeah, I see that same thing, and and it 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 really it it goes toward the reasoning behind the idea of you need to be more decisive, mm-hmm. because if you're not elusive, you don't have that type of improviser ability to where you can force this person to miss, force this person to miss, stay locked in downfield and then make a throw while receivers are running back to you and things like that. You don't have as much of that opportunity. So be more decisive because you're going to have to run through somebody, not around somebody. So make that decision and go, you know, there's not as much of an opportunity to create in the backfield, get out of the backfield. Right. So I think that that's a really good point. And I think that that's something that you do need to see him sort of understand a little bit that Jalen hurts has the ability to maybe hang back there a little bit more because maybe he can make somebody miss in the backfield and then still get his eyes downfield. You're not going to see that as much for Taysom Hill and the fumbling issue is another good reason to just get out of the backfield. Like if you, if you know, it, no fumble is a good fumble, but if you're going to fumble after gaining 20 yards and then, you know, the, the field flip is a very different conversation than fumbling in the backfield where somebody can potentially scoop and score, right? Like it's neither are a good situation, but one is definitely worse than the other. Yes. Uh, and so I think that that's another reason why the decisiveness is something you need to see from, from him uh, big time. And, and to go to his arm talent too, real quick, because mm-hmm. you mentioned like the idea of him being able to generate explosive plays in the passing game. It's been interesting because he does have the bigger arm, but I can't think of a single deep ball that he has thrown so far that a receiver has been able to catch in stride yep. and keep moving. Some of that has to do with timing. Some of it has to do with placement. Some of it has to do with the lack of touch. We almost saw it with the touchdown pass that he missed to Emmanuel Sanders in the corner of the end zone that you can see he was trying to do the spot throw there, but he overthrew it quite a bit. Um, that would have been the first example of that that's we, that we've seen. So I think that there's the context within, can you generate the explosive plays and also how do you do it? Are you forcing receivers to fight for the ball every single time or can you throw somebody open? Yep. Um, let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, Andrews Pete called out in particular by yeah. Sean Payton that he just has to play better. Um, his grading this year has put him not bad, but right. the, the, when he fails, they are noticeable failures. Yes. Um, and, and then we have to talk about Cesar Ruiz too, who has just not had the rookie season that was expected of him so far. Saints struggled to generate anything in the running game. And then mm-hmm. once you're behind, you have to eliminate it, essentially. Right. essentially. Um, 
I just the line did not play its best. No, not at all. And this was a game, you know, we talked about how this was a game to where if the Saints lost it, it's because they lost in the trenches. And they did. They did on both sides. They did on both ends. Um, and, you know, starting with the offensive line, you saw the struggles in the interior. That's still a problem for this team. They moved on from Larry Warford. They brought in Cesar Ruiz in the hopes of originally moving Eric McCoy to Warford's spot, then having Cesar Ruiz take over at center. Um, Eric McCoy made a very convincing argument for himself with his performance early in the season and in training camp, but even his production is starting to drop a little bit as well. Uh, the interior is a big time concern right now of that offensive line going into, you know, probably their, their toughest matchup of the season about to go up against Chris Jones, the Kansas city chiefs. And so, or one of their toughest matchups of the season. And so look, that's a big issue for them that they still need to figure out. Um, And just Pete getting called out by coach Payton. That's very uncharacteristic of coach Payton. The last time we saw him do that was Larry Warford. Who's no longer on the team. I'm not saying Andrew Pete's about to no longer be on the team because he's got a big old contract. That's going to keep him around for a little bit, but uh, at least for another season, but you know, you saw, you've seen good play from Andrew Pete. And, and, and your assessment, I think, is is apt in that you see a a player that doesn't give up consistent pressure, but gives up big ones, mm-hmm. you know, and, and gives them up at big points. And they look bad. You know what I mean? Like I mean, they just, he, when he gets beat, he yeah. gets beat. Yeah. And so, you know, Cesar Ruiz played a better game this week, but Eric McCoy struggled this week. And so it's becoming one of those things where, and particularly when you have Teron Armstead, who just came back after missing two weeks being on the COVID list, he wasn't able to play at his best. He wasn't bad by any means, but he wasn't at his best either. He had some troubles, but we don't know how COVID affected him coming back into this game and having to recondition a, you know, a respiratory illness like that. That's, that's tough. And so I think that some of the times where maybe you see some of the, the performances get masked by other elite uh, players on the offensive line. You didn't have that benefit this week and everybody just kind of wherever the struggles were, those struggles were exposed. And for Alvin Kamara, like I said, a lot of targets in the passing game. He did score a red zone touchdown on a run, Um, but still that's that relationship with he and Taysom. It shows that there's still a lot of work to be done there because the, the targets that he did get, Again, didn't generate huge plays at, right. uh, when they could have, and his run his runs didn't really you know open the, because of that offensive line. It didn't really open things up. The last four weeks just have to be. I I just can't believe that they're not frustrating to him in some level. Not that he's yeah. pointing fingers or blaming anyone. This is football, and these things happen. But I can't imagine there's a player on the offensive side outside of that yeah. line who's more frustrated over the last four weeks than Alvin Kamara and his willingness and understanding that he could be contributing more. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you look at the way that his season started, his season hasn't shifted because defense has figured out what to do or anything like that. I mean, look at he caught eight passes in that game, but look at how many times where he caught those passes, he had to correct himself because he was catching a ball outside of his frame or he was coming off of his feet or it was low or whatever. Like, you can complete 28 of 38 passes all you want, but where's the location of those passes and how does it affect the receiver's ability to get upfield and, and and make a play, right? And I think that's one of the things that you saw with Alvin Kamara in this game, that yes, he did get the targets, but the quality of those targets was not consistent across the board. 
didn't put him in situations where he was able to generate and create the way that he usually would. You also saw the offensive line struggle a lot in the passing game, particularly Andrew Speed, who was quite sluggish in that in that area of the game. So I think that, that those are other things. So I mean, when you talk about the Saints' offensive line, they're built on athleticism. That was the idea that they would be those guys that would, you know, be Eric McCoy downfield blocking against the Green Bay Packers, right? That would be Cesar Ruiz downfield leading the way. That would be those guys doing that. But in this game, you didn't see it to the quality that you usually see the offensive line play in the extended run game with the pass, you know, with the screen passes, passes to the flats, things like that. And you saw Sean Payton say, okay, the run game isn't very available to us right now with the deficit and with the play of that front four in particular with Philadelphia right now and the way that they've, they've sort of shut down the run early. So they, they still relied on the extended passing game and, you know, threw balls behind the line of scrimmage and then took those short passes, those areas uh, and doing all of that, but it just wasn't enough. I mean, it wasn't enough. And the quality of those reps wasn't, wasn't enough. It was a lot of uncharacteristic stuff throughout this week. I mean, it was uncharacteristic in terms of the offensive execution. It was uncharacteristic in special teams. And of course it was uncharacteristic over on the defensive side as well. Yeah. Let's, let's touch on the defense. As you said, they lost the battle up front. Mm-hmm. They did a poor job in containment um, on several occasions. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, there was at the second level, um, Quan Alexander played well again. I will say that Quan mm-hmm. had moments, um, but the second level wasn't as strong as it was once, once Jalen Hurts got to there, um, you know, there was some tough, uh, tough reactions to it. Uh, and guys just not getting to spots and he was, and Hurts was able to convert enough third downs, which mm-hmm. uh, for a rookie, you know, you want to eliminate the third down conversion. I thought, you know, they allowed him to be comfortable yeah. and not make, he didn't make any big mistakes. He was able to to do what was limited in that game plan because it was clearly a limited game plan for him. But like you said, he, whatever he did, he was decisive with it and he lived with the consequences of it. And a lot of was, I'll fight another day. I'm not going to do something here that's going to blow this. Yeah, he did a very good job uh, throughout this game. He wasn't, you know, this phenomenal guy. He didn't come out and have the RG3 type game uh, as a rookie quarterback going up against the Saints, but he had he had a game to where he was multiple in terms of what he was able to do, threw for over 160 yards, ran for 106, but also took care of the ball. He didn't throw an interception. You didn't see, you saw him lose a fumble late in the game, but outside of that, he did a very good job not taking risk. There was the one near interception by C.J. Gardner-Johnson that he almost got. The Saints ended up still limiting that drive and still getting the ball back, but that probably would have been, you know, huge. They because it would have set him up mentally a little bit to sort of face some of that ad- adversity earlier in the game as opposed to, you know, second to last drive of the game. Um, so I think that all of that is is important. The, the, the defensive line struggled a ton in terms of containing the run game, particularly in the first half. They got better at it in the second half, but they had to swap out. I mean, you saw Cam Jordan start to line up on the defensive right side. You saw Sheldon Rankin start to play some left end a bit or, or defensive left. You saw them using uh, a little bit more of kind of like an offset four-man front to where you had two, three techs and a nose tackle. So you had three defensive tackles on the field, and then you had Cam Jordan on one of the outsides and then Quan Alexander playing off the edge on another side as a stand-up rusher. You saw several moments where they did that in the second half and that adjustment worked for them uh, because Philly was specifically very successful running to their offensive left. So you saw um, 
you know, reps where you had both Malcolm Jenkins and CJ Gardner on this CJ Gardner Johnson on the same side of the field uh, to help with the contain over on the side. They took the contain responsibilities away from guys like Trey Hendrickson and Marcus Davenport who were struggling with it and then ended up giving it to defensive backs and linebackers who had more of the speed. Uh, and it's why you didn't see much of the base defense in this one. Zach Bond, not somebody that you would trust as the same linebacker in this situation as a rookie learning a brand new position. Um, Alex Anzalone has shown a propensity to have issues against that type of game plan over his career. So you went with who you believed were your 11 best players on the field at all times. And it worked better for them in the second half than it did in the first. But in not working in the first, it ended up digging a 17-point hole, which is very tough to, to come back from. And no um, pressure. No pressure. No pressure at all. And and I'm not, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely surprised by that, just by the, the fact that there's going to be a, the focus was on contain and the focus was on keeping him. But if you're not doing that, you got to do the other thing. Like right. if you're, if you're not getting the contain and at least get the pressure, you only saw them hit, um, hit Jalen Hurts three times. I didn't really expect sacks in this game at all because I expected it to be a heavy run focus and mm-hmm. it, as it was, but you know, that was the, that was the type of game plan that they were supposed to, that they were supposed to be, you know, that they were supposed to excel against. Yeah. When but, you got in those obvious passing situations, they still weren't able to get home. Right. And like I right. said, it's, it's, we don't worry about sex. We worry about how right. many times do you get the quarterback off his spot and they just didn't get there enough to make him mm-hmm. throw inaccurately um, or to, to panic. And he never had to yeah. panic. Yeah. I think there were only, I say it was only nine dropbacks where there was pressure on Jalen Hurts, uh, three throwaways, and then he completed two of six passes during that. So, I mean, it was effective when it was there. It just wasn't always there. And, of course, the touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey was with Quan Alexander, like, right in his face as he as he was hitting. And then they called, you know, roughing the passer, which it doesn't matter. When it's a touchdown, they add it on to the field goal, and then they kick the ball out of the end zone, and and nothing happens. But, you know, it was it was that kind of a, a, a day to where even when they did get that one pressure that looked like it was going to get there, um, you had Marshawn Lattimore struggling coverage. What is the issue for Dennis Allen? And, and I don't know if it's a major issue, but we've seen the Saints on multiple occasions struggle with mobile quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um going back to Deshaun Watson last season and the opener and, um, and a couple of other times we've seen it. What is it? Is it the fact that the saints don't have maybe that, that agile, uh, you know, leaner defensive lineman who, who is able to, to stay out wide a little more. Cam Jordan is so great at setting the edge typically, but we've mm-hmm. seen some inconsistency from him this year from game to game at times. Sure. Um, is that something that the Saints maybe need to look for uh, going forward to help them in these situations? Is somebody a little bit who's just more of a speed guy? And I think that's what they want Zach Bond to be. Yes. Um, but they don't really have that guy as a veteran at this point. Right. That's exactly right. And I think that it is something that you'll see them that you'll see them focus on. Um, you know, the trend in the in the not even a trend. I mean, the the age of the NFL quarterback right now is trending towards being mobile. Um, people that could be multiple and you have to be prepared for that. I think Zach Bond is a good profile for you there, but you have to get him up to speed and then get him on the field, which right now he's not getting on the field. He's not up to speed. Um, the addition of Quan Alexander seemed like that would be somebody that would help there, but the, the Philadelphia Eagles did a very good job at shielding off those linebackers. He and Demario Davis were removed from the game more times than they weren't. Quan Alexander just made bigger plays when he was in. 
uh, when he was in on those on, on those moments. But you know, you you feel like you have the personnel that's there. But I think that at the defensive end position in particular. It, you're right. You don't have those guys that are the agile athletic guys. I mean, Marcus Davenport is the closest that you have, but he's rotating in with Trey Hendrickson, who has struggled to, you know, with containment on the outside and struggled in the run game his entire career. It's been the biggest knock on him. We're not talking about it as much this year because he has 10 and a half sacks on the season. So we're really you know, leaning into the idea that he's a great pass rusher, but he hasn't been somebody that has been super successful in the run game. And even if he has been successful in the run game, that contained game for, for a mobile quarterback is a very different conversation. It takes a lot of eye discipline. It takes a lot of feeling like you're playing ahead. But the issue with having a mobile quarterback is that as a defensive lineman, you're always kind of a step behind just inherently because only that quarterback knows what decision they're going to make. Are they going to tuck and run? Uh, is this play design going to take them outside? So it's just about finding the right game plan and figuring out what works for that particular quarterback in that particular system. The Saints, though, you know, they made the halftime adjustments. They just weren't able to make the adjustments during the first half to where they were getting more of those defensive backs locked in on the outside. You do doing a lot of safety contain, a lot of linebacker contain. That worked. Had they come in with that? as the, as the goal from the very beginning, probably would have seen a little bit of a different game, but that just simply wasn't the game plan that they, that they had prepared. And then they suffered for it because they, they lacked contain and, and eye discipline over on that outside. Well, let's, we have to talk about him. Um, Sean Payton has been extremely disappointed in him. Fans are disappointed in him, but if he continues to struggle, do the saints go look for another kicker at this point in the season? Uh, no, I don't think so. And and I think that, you know, he would have to continue to struggle to the point to where, you know, he's missing three, two, three field goals every game moving forward or missing, let me not say two or three, but, you know, missing Critical, a, a number of field goals. Yeah. yeah. Over the, over the next course, uh, over the next few. I mean, you definitely, you know, you have the one against Atlanta where he slipped, you hold that against them. Probably you have the 41 yarder that was early on in this game that you'd certainly hold against them. The 57-yarder late in the game that after Quan Alexander forced that fumble, had that field goal been made, then that fumble would have been would have put them in position to tie the game. But a 57-yarder, um, we could that's a but it's a that's an iffy kick. Yarder. That's an yeah. iffy kick. For and anybody. you have to yeah, and you have to look at the fact that Taysom Hill was sacked two times in the three plays before that to knock them further out of that field goal range. So that that doesn't help, <laughs> you know what I mean. So you have to. That's one to where you have to look at the circumstances and the situation that 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 was subject to. Um, look, uh, obviously you want a field goal kicker to make every kick that he kicks. I mean, that's what you want, but that's just not the reality. He's still the most accurate kicker that the Saints to this point have had in their history. Um, he's still the be- one of the better kickers in in the NFL. He's having a down season and he's having a down stretch over these last two games, missing three field goals. But I don't think he's in any jeopardy or any trouble. I mean, any player that has sustained trouble, like sustained issues, will find themselves in that position. But I'm not ready to say that about Will Lutch just yet. He's lucky Jimmy Johnson isn't the coach, though. I mean, yeah. I remember Jimmy yeah, would cycle through man. four kickers in a season. Yeah. And, and, and for that matter, he's lucky that this didn't happen earlier on in his career because Sean Payton was much the same way until he landed on Will Lutz. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And so he's lucky that this is happening a few years into uh, following up some. There's some a certain Saints hero that you ain't seen. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely quite some right. Time That's absolutely because right. he just couldn't hold it together. Yep. And that, um, Drew Brees' status is still up in the air. I, I, I don't care what happens. I just don't see him playing this weekend. I still don't see that as a, a possibility at all. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it's a non-conference game that does mean something. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if they lose this game, then they're waiting for They're hoping that Seattle wins out and that Green Bay drops a game specifically to an NFC opponent. Uh, makes it a little bit tougher considering their NFC opponents, I think, of the Lions and the Bears, if I remember correctly, for the rest of the mm-hmm. season. So not not likely. Um if they win this game, then they, you know, then it puts them in position to have a better record. If, uh, if Green Bay drops the game to Tennessee, for instance, which feels like the game that's more likely if they're going to drop one that that would be one. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, that's a so matchup they, perfect to beat Green Bay because right. their run defense is susceptible to the big play, and Derrick yes. Henry right now should be a top five MVP candidate. Mr. December, man, he's been, he's incredible in, in the month of December, for instance, and, and he's been incredible all season. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, so the game does mean something, but that game against Minnesota, for instance, means a little bit more as a conference game, uh, means a little bit more because it's five days after that Kansas City game. That's something that some, actually it was a, somebody on Twitter brought up to me that I hadn't considered is that you have Drew Brees come back in this game with 11, you know, coming back from 11 rib fractures. And then he has to turn around and play five days later on Friday. It's not the great, it's not a great turnaround for a guy that just went through what he's going through. Um, So I have a hard time believing that he gets rushed back to play against the Kansas city chiefs. In this game against Kansas city, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to be the thing that you start with, Mm -hmm. but you have to assume hey, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a good game. He's had nothing but, pretty you know good games this season the thing about the Chiefs that bothers me when you're talking about the Saints is the Chiefs win even if they're Mm one-dimensional they've had several games this season where they've had less than 80 yards rushing and still put up 30 plus points so if the Saints to you know up until last game had been so good at taking away the run Kansas City is not concerned they're just they're really not and when you have a Travis Kelsey who's over 90 catches this season you have a Tyree Kill who can blow the roof off the top of any defense and can can run the ball if you throw it to him in short situations right. and be able to be elusive in that regard. And you still have guys like um, Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who can come out of the backfield and make plays. There's and it's just there's so much on the plate for the Saints this this game. And adding on Taysom Hill to that, they cannot afford to get into a a 17 point deficit against Kansas City is that just write it off, turn the TV off, go home. Yeah, that that's not going to work for them here. This is not a situation to where you say, "All right, let's see you play back from a deficit, taste them, and see how it goes." Like that's not going to work for you. Uh, I, but I also I also don't believe that this is a game to where you have to score thirty five points in order to win. There there is a world in which you control the ball on the offensive side and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands as much as possible. And that's going to require the Saints to come out in sync from the very beginning of this game. They're not going to be able to do those two, three, three and outs to open up the game and then stumble their way into rhythm. That can't happen. They have to be able to hit the dance floor and be ready to go. Like that's one of the things that that I'm going to be watching for in this game is you don't have to get the early deficit. It helps, of course, to to you know to score early and things like that. But if you open up this game and think about the 2018 game, I believe it was against the uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who didn't have the same type of an offense, of course, as the Kansas City Chiefs. But you know, the Saints opened up that drive with a, or opened up that game with a 20 play drive that took nearly 10 minutes off the clock that's the kind of thing you want to see this offense open up with. Um, 
and ideally put points on the board by the end of it, unlike they did in Baltimore. Uh, but that's what you're going to want to see is that type of ball control and, and doing that. So that's going to mean the offensive line has to outperform itself from last week. The run game has to outperform itself from last week. And those short passes are going to have to, you know, those the, you're going to have to take something off of that. Like it's too much mustard on those short passes. And it caused that, that turnover that ended up popping out of um, Alvin Kamara's hands and into the arms of Duke Riley, which, Great for the former LSU Tiger, but please more of that. Like, we don't need that. So it, it'll be interesting to see which approach they come out offensively, right? Because what we saw from Taysom Hill, where we did see him perform very well against Philadelphia is when the offense opened up and they mm-hmm. had to drive 51 yards in, in, in essentially two plays, right? He overthrew uh, Emmanuel Sanders, who was wide open in the end zone, and then he turned around and then got the touchdown to Jared Cook, which again, you forced him to make a spectacular catch. But, you know, I mean, that is when that offense really clicked is when they were just kind of opened it up. So it can be one or the other, but I'll be interested to see which way they go with it. It seems that, the, it, you know, you look at the one loss that Kansas City has mm-hmm. and it came to Vegas in a game where Vegas didn't particularly didn't rack up tons and tons of rushing yards, Mm-mm. but they were able to out physical Kansas City and set up big plays for Henry Ruggs in those situations, get one on one coverage for him and create mismatches. Um, I don't know if the Saints are going to do exactly that, but dominating them up front. That's that's the only way you really have a legitimate chance against Kansas City. Like you said, keep that offense off the field because even in that, even mm-hmm. with Vegas keeping Kansas City off the field, Kansas City was still right there um, with a chance right. to win that game late. And they also were able to force a couple of Patrick Mahomes, you know, bad decisions. Right. And the Saints are going to have to get him into bad decisions. This is one of those things where Patrick Mahomes is not a guy who really wants to run. Right. But he is a guy who is great at being mobile within the pocket. And as you um, but yeah, the Saints are going to have to remain very disciplined in this game um, and have to to limit Kansas City's opportunities. And, and you do that by controlling the ball. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that's going to be that I, here's the other thing that I continue to look at for the Saints offense in this game, too is how do you maximize Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara in this game to an overwhelming extent? There is no Michael Thomas in the AFC West. The closest you've got is probably Keenan Allen, but Keenan Allen is much more of a, he has a little bit more to his game in terms of being a deep threat and a speedy, you know, speedier guy. But Michael Thomas is a technician you don't find in, in the AFC West. There's not really an Alvin Kamara in the AFC West either closest you're probably going to find is also at the chargers, maybe Austin Eckler, but he's not somebody you're going to line up in the slot. That's going to line up out wide. That's going to do everything else that Alvin Kamara does. How do you leverage the chief's unfamiliarity of defending that type of talent, those types of talents to a, to an extent that is so overwhelming that it does give you opportunities to open up plays for guys like Emmanuel Sanders, who, Kansas City is more familiar with having played against him in in Denver. Um, how do you maximize those guys to the point and to where Jared Cook, who you can take advantage of Jared Cook? Exactly, exactly. Who is somebody else that they're a little bit familiar with playing with playing at formerly Oakland, but Kansas City has not done well defending against tight ends at all. And so, how do you utilize and distract, like utilize Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara to a to an a point to a point that is so overwhelming and so consistent that it draws the attention of that defense and allows you to take those shots elsewhere. 
and also does that open up more opportunities for Taysom Hill to make another one of those big plays on the ground like he did against Atlanta with the 43-yard run? Does it open up an opportunity like it did against Atlanta with Traquan Smith because everyone's paying attention to where Michael Thomas is? You have to be able to take advantage of those types of lapses by Kansas City's defense, which has the propensity to do that, particularly in the passing game. Can you take advantage of that? To the point to where you're you're putting on those big bruising drives, but then you're able to take those shots, be able to uh, to put points on the board. Yeah, Kansas City's corners are not stellar, right? Um, the Jarius Need is probably their their best corner, and he's a rookie going into the season. And then you know, Teron Matthew is a playmaker, and mm-hmm. he's going to you know put himself in position to kind of deceive you. That's what he does yep. very well. Um, but even uh, you know, even the Kansas City linebackers are good. But I don't think anybody mistakes this defense as an elite defense. It's right. it is it, it does its job for the most part. It has some exceptional players on it, but it's not something that I think if you're the Saints, Sean Payton is not sweating this defense, but he knows they have like as we've talked about, there's the margin for error with this group continues to be thinner and yeah. as you would expect without Drew Brees. Yeah. Yeah, which makes which makes perfect sense. I'll be interested to see exactly how Tyron Matthew is used because he should be used as somebody to disguise, but you also see him get involved in the pass rush um, and in the blitzing game. That's going to be the biggest part of the uh, of this game plan, I think, for the Saints offense is going to be the offensive line performing and keeping, uh, keeping Taysom Hill clean. You know, on the fourth and two pass that – uh, that was called at near the end of the Philadelphia game um, where they were down 14 to 17 and Taysom Hill gets sacked. And then you have the fumble, which the fumble, the fumble reinforces the trait that we've seen from him. Yes, but it doesn't really mean anything because that play wasn't working. Uh, but the intent for that play was to take a shot to Emmanuel Sanders down the field, down the middle of the field. And Emmanuel Sanders got carried by a linebacker. I, I still feel like I wouldn't have faulted Taysom for taking a shot there and putting the ball up and giving Emmanuel Sanders an opportunity to outplay a linebacker in coverage. Um, but that's something that you figure out more and that Drew Brees maybe takes that shot, but Taysom Hill doesn't. Um, you have Michael Thomas streaking over the center of the field, but he's coming from the backside, the same angle that the pass rush is coming from. It's hard to reset your feet, turn your hips, plant your feet, make that throw without getting completely dismantled by Montez Sweat off the backfield with the blown block by uh, Josh Hill. And so, you know, you, you look at those play calls and, and I'm curious to see how many of those play calls come back again next week. You know, the designed rollout is one that I understand because it's supposed to buy a little bit more time, but it's hard when you give up that backside pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but it does put him in a position to get outside the pocket, buy time for a play to be able to develop down the field and then still be able to take his shot with his feet planted as opposed to asking him, Taysom Hill, to throw on the run. So it'll be interesting to see how the offensive line can help to set up those opportunities for him to be more effective on those plays by buying him that time up against, a, uh, again, a, a talented interior pass rush that I think Saints fans are rightfully very concerned about. And I think that the Saints have to be concerned about and ready to, 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 to combat. Um, let, let's, let's talk about how this game could impact the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Saints still right now, the number two, um, and it's a clear number two now because of their tiebreaker with the Packers, right. but potentially this, a loss Sunday does put them in position to, they could fall as far as three. Mm-hmm. Um, if Seattle were to win out 
and the Saints, you know, maybe if they lose this game and then, like you said, that Minnesota game a month ago, we didn't think it would be as critical as it is. Right. But Minnesota has put themselves back in position to maybe steal a playoff spot here. Um, so this game means something to the Vikings. If Breeze is not back again, facing off against a team with a Dalvin Cook, with a Justin Jefferson, with, you know, Adam Thielen, all these things that, and, and the potential that they have to put up points as well and having to maybe match them. These next two games now, and then having Carolina on the end, and even if Carolina knows that they're not doing anything, there's still a cultural thing that they right. are trying to set up, that we don't – This is these are the Saints. They're coming into our building. We're right. not, we don't want to be the team that allows the first team to go undefeated in our division. Right. We, you know, they broke our record for most consecutive division titles. There are so many ways for Carolina to be motivated again in that, that – and, and, and even when Carolina's been bad – Going to Carolina has never been something that the Saints have particularly right. enjoyed. Right. So these next three weeks, the Saints could find themselves quite literally falling into third, the third spot, which would mean two games potentially on the road right. in the postseason and those two games being outdoors. Yeah, which is, is an interesting thing. I'm glad that you brought that up because the Saints up until Philadelphia were the only team undefeated outdoors. But of course, we're talking about outside of winter months and things like that. But they have been able to perform there in, in those conditions just in terms of playing outdoors. Um, the worst possible scenario, I believe, for the Saints is that they end up, they could drop as far as a six seed. That would be an absolute meltdown on their part and then Tampa Bay winning out and winning the division, right? I don't that would see be, that happening. That's, I don't think that's going to happen. Um in terms of the Saints not winning at least one of these next three games. Because wouldn't um, Tampa have to also... Tampa would um, also have to win out. Yeah, because yeah. even then, I mean, because the Saints have the tiebreaker in the division with them. They right. have The Saints have to lose to Carolina for that to happen. Yeah, um, they would have... So the Saints would have to lose all three of the remaining games, and then Tampa would have to win out in order for that to happen. I don't see that happening. It seems very unlikely. The, the most likely scenario is the Saints hold on to the number two seed, which would essentially be winning two of the next three games. Um, and you know, Seattle winning out and, and LA winning out, that would still be the case and green Bay winning out, which would put them at the number two seed. That seems the most likely scenario, um, or one of those other teams dropping a game, whatever it might be. Um, this game does mean something. People will say that it doesn't because it's a non-conference opponent, but because the saints just lost to a conference opponent, they need to have a better record because they no longer own the tiebreaker in a three-game tie, which is the the advantage that they had over Green Bay. If the Saints hadn't lost this last game, they'd still have a better record, but also it would have put them in a situation to where if they would have ended up tied with Green Bay, Seattle, Green Bay and Seattle, then they would still have the conference record at this point after they drop a game to Kansas city, for instance. So that's an important thing. This game is still very important because if they win this game, it puts them in a situation to where if green Bay loses any of the next three games, then the new Orleans saints would then jump up to the number one seed. If assuming that they went out, if they 
lose this game, then it puts them in a situation to where even if they went out in order for them to get back to the number one seed, Green Bay has to lose a game, but they have to lose it to an NFC opponent, which as we discussed earlier, seems unlikely. So this is still a very important game. This is a game that still puts them in best case scenario mode to where they can get that number one seed back. And it also helps them be a little bit more assured that if nothing else, they can hold on to that number two seed, which I do think is still important. If they have to play without the rest, then they have to play without the rest. It's fine. Drew Brees has had five games of rest or four games of rest and then he'll get he'll get a fifth one um you know it's kind of like what happened with the saints last year but later on in the season so if the option is that drew Brees has five games of rest comes back gets ready for you know gets back into the groove of things against uh minnesota and in carolina and then is able to go in to the playoffs even in a wild card game i'll take that i'm i'm fine with that you know um but i think that it's it still makes this game very, very important just at the idea of maybe being able to hold on to that number one seed. The, the, the outdoors thing is like, again, it, the primary part of that is the winter having winter to go weather, to yeah. Seattle. Right. Um, and and, it, and you have to talk about Drew Brees' ribs and his collapsed lung in the cold. Mm-hmm. All of those things are accentuated. Yep. You, you Good point. breathe a little bit shorter. You're it's harder to catch your breath just naturally when it's cold, but with those mm-hmm. ribs are going to ache. That's just, they're going to cold weather. It ain't fun as you get to this certain age when you're, when your body's tight and then to go back to back weeks and, nece- and, prob- and possibly have to win at Seattle at green Bay. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a daunting task in any season. Yep. Um, so it's just, they they want, don't want that road. I mean, yeah, it's one thing to have to play three games, but it's another when two of those are in those places. Yeah, and, and I think that your, that's there's urgency there. Yeah, and and you put yourself in a better position with the number two seed that there's still a chance that you end up hosting the NFC Championship game if Green mm-hmm. Bay gets knocked off right. at some point. You know what I mean? Like, look, if if Philadelphia can beat New Orleans, then there's no reason for us to say that New Orleans can't beat Kansas City or that some of these other teams can't beat Green Bay. Like, it, it is an any given Sunday type situation, of course. The cliche is very much there because it's true, because it's a true one. Um, so I think that that's the other reason why that number two seed is so important is because it still gives you an opportunity to, you know, stay at home throughout that the, the playoff run, depending upon what happens with Green Bay. And the Saints still, the odds have them as one of the three um, teams that are the most likely to win the Super Bowl. They're only three mm-hmm. teams with a better than 8% chance to do so. And it's Kansas City, Green Bay, and New Orleans. So yep. people still have a lot of faith in the Saints. And I think that's tied to um, Drew Brees' health um, and him being rested and ready to go for the postseason. Right. If they do lose this weekend, is there more pressure to bring him back for the Minnesota game, even if he's not 100%? I think that the pressure maybe gets gets more applied, yeah. I mean, I think even he mentioned in an interview um, that, you know, there's, there's pressure for him to come back as early as this week based upon that loss to Philadelphia. But uh, I don't – I think that the organization has to play it safe enough that, look, they're in the playoffs no matter what no matter what happens during the playoffs, and they have to keep that in mind. I think that that decision to bring him back at less than 100% is a 2014, 15, or 16 New Orleans Saints front office decision. I don't think it's a 2020 front office decision, especially with the understanding that regardless of what happens throughout the rest of the season, even if they do completely collapse and lose out, they're still a playoff team. And they have to – you look at the field and – You've played well against Green Bay. That's a team that you think you can beat. You played well against mm-hmm. Seattle. That's a team you think you can beat. Um, the only tough thing, I think, is if you end up in the two and you end up with uh, Arizona, potentially, as mm-hmm. that seven, 
Um, you know, then you start thinking about Kyler Murray, but the Saints did a great job against him last season, and mm-hmm. Kyler still is very inconsistent at times. Um, I, I just think they don't want to play Minnesota in the first round just because the, the the vibes are there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like just, you don't want that. I don't want to like, see them again. Want you don't want to see them three <laughs> in the last four years in the postseason. You just don't want right. it. Yeah, and and I think I think to that to that coin too, or the other side of that coin too, is that you you don't want Tampa Bay o- no. only because only because it, it's hard to beat a team three three times in a season. They did it against Carolina, but that Carolina team is not this Tampa Bay team. Uh, and I'm not saying that this Tampa Bay team is, you know, Super Bowl bound or anything like that. Like I'm not subscribing to that belief, but it is a better team than what the Carolina Panthers were the season that the Saints played them the third time in the playoffs. So yeah. I think that that's the other team that you get a little bit concerned about just simply based on, I mean, if nothing else, based on the odds. <laughs> I want to close on Sean Payton because, um, yeah. you know, besides the honesty that he talked about um, with the team, there's a lot. He had an interview where he talked a lot about himself mm-hmm. and how vocal he's just been in general, uh, particularly when it comes to the areas of social justice and um, uh, and, and and black folks getting um, their full stake in American society. And he says he can speak up as long as he's winning, which is an absolute truth. People mm-hmm. will tolerate things as long as you are winning. But there is a feeling to me because when he talks about the coaching. Mm-hmm. 11 of 25 coaches on the Saints roster, including Sean Payton. I'm counting all 25. Mm-hmm. 11 of those 25 are black. Sean mm-hmm. Payton has hired black coaches. Yep. But you go to the Saints front office, and Sean Payton specifically said it's on GMs and front office people to bring in executives and coaches. Saints front office is very, very, very monochromatic. Yeah, and like in two, those two positions, right? yeah. neither of them would be considered powerful positions they are in right. they have influence because they're an executive staff but they are not considered the power positions in the front office the saints have right. never had an african-american in any power position on this in this franchise right um and gail benson has had her own issues with race as well mm-hmm. um her political donations her um a, a court case that was settled out of court right those types of things I wonder how much he's being heard within the building, not the locker room. I know the guys in the locker room. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's fine. But, and he and Mickey Loomis are close. Yeah. But the saints are no different than most of the other 32 teams in the league that whatever that message is, it is not filtering up to the boardroom. Right. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I take away specifically about that conversation, and I'm grateful to have this conversation is that, he talked about the promotion of Terry Fontenot and moving him up to uh, assistant GM. He was already sort of their head of uh, a pro scouting. And again, right. it's not a power position, right? It's an assistant executive position. Um, and so he and Kai Hartley are the two guys that are kind of those, you know, the, 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 the I, yeah, the, the black executives, I guess you can call them, but yeah, again, I don't count Fred McAfee. Position. I do not count yeah. Fred McAfee no, as an executive. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about. I was like, I don't know if he's really in that position, but um but like you, those, those two guys in particular are the ones that are holding at least some general management title. But again, it's, it's assistant general management titles, things like that. Um, Terry Fano is the head of his department, pro scouting. Um, Kai Hartley is doing some of the things that everybody credits Mickey Loomis for in terms of his ability to move money around to make contracts work. That's Kai. Like Kai does all of that work. He's the capologist, if you will. Um, 
you, the, but taking away the comp from the conversation that he, he talked about when they made the decision to promote Terry Fontenot, I thought it was interesting that Sean Payton was a part of the driving force of that happening. It's a conversation that he had or the conversation that he explained and the story that he shared was that he went and spoke with Mickey Loomis and they both agreed like, Hey, this guy's doing really great work for us. You know, here's an opportunity to really represent him and give him what he deserves and what he would be getting if he was, you know, a, a white person in his position. So how do we, what do we do? And, and they ended up promoting him, which I think is great. He's going to be getting interviews this off season for GM positions. Fontenot is um, probably, yeah, I think it, what, he's a front runner right now for the considered for the Atlanta job. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, and that's great for him and I'm glad for it. He deserves it. And I hope that it works out honestly, because I want him to have that position and I want him to be an example across the NFL about why, you know, black folks can hold those positions. Like there's no reason to be afraid to put somebody there and that people other than it's not even just black folks, right? It opens the door to the conversation that people other than who you've seen hold that position before can hold that position, right? Well, regardless of what type of minority you want to look at, whether it's, you know, gender minority or race minority. And so I, I think that it's interesting. And I, I would say, um, I'll say exciting to hear that Sean Payton, who has been openly vocal, who has been consistently vocal around these issues, not only issues that he's seeing, but his own contributions and his own ability to perpetuate. Mm -hmm. Those are things that he's also discussed and talked about, which I think that self-reflection is, is, is a very important part of this conversation. Anytime that we have it in any venue, um, I, I'm hopeful by seeing, and I don't use the word hope a lot because I don't really truly believe in it because I think there's a sense of entitlement to it that we don't get to share in, that we don't have stake in. Yeah. Um, but I am hopeful in the idea that in, in seeing him lead those conversations that maybe he does get heard a little bit more. Uh, and he's clearly not interested in shutting up about it. I mean, he's he's talking about it on you know interviews. He went into the, the interview years ago about gun control. Yep. He openly talked about his his position on Donald Trump as, yep. as president. He openly talked about he has openly talked about his position of of race in in the United States. I wish he would stop using the phrase race relations, but other than yes. that, he's doing it accurately. He's, he's you trying. Know I mean? He's trying. Give, right? It's vocabulary. Him, yeah. At least <laughs> I will give I I give Sean Payton this credit in saying. You know, in, in at least saying I will continue to participate in the conversation. Yeah. And I think he yeah. he is open to learning. And when we talked about with Drew Brees um, mm -hmm. and talk about him learning, we've not seen that continuation. And right. I mean, let's be honest. We did. Right. Since the season began, we have not seen any of that. Yeah. You go through his social media posts. I ain't seen a single one mm -mm. of all the things that have happened since then, right. since we had that conversation this summer. You've not seen him speak out on any of those things. You've not seen any vocal response, any written response, anything. Right. And even if you want to say, I, I, I'm not trying to keep it. I don't want to be political in it and talk about party or whatever. Fine. But you're not even talking about the issues. You're right. not even talking about incidents. You're not bringing right. any light to that. You're, you, you have no problem putting up pictures of the fam. You got no problems having children taste them at the, at the house for Thanksgiving but you're not talking about these things that you said were so critical to you that they made moved you to tears. Right. But you're not talking about them at all. Sean Payton, here we are week 14 in the NFL season. He's still talking about. It. Yeah. And, and I love it because Sean Payton is somebody who 
I mean, the reality is that Sean Payton has job security, right? He's got job security. He can go out, he can have these conversations. He can say these things. Like he said, like these folks are okay by me doing it as long as I'm winning is the phrase that he used, which was incredibly honest, incredibly honest and incredibly self-aware and good on him for it, for using that as an opportunity to say, while I'm winning, I won't be held, you know, I won't be held accountable for these things that I believe in, in a negative light, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to get comfortable enough to no longer represent them and no longer share them and no longer believe them. Drew Brees, this team got to winning and then all of a sudden everybody just forgot. And we knew that was going to happen because mm-hmm. it always happens. Right. So kudos to Sean Payton for making the decision where everyone could just easily forget about you know, the gun control comments that he made. I mean, he even specifically went as far as saying that like coaching where he coaches in Louisiana makes it hard. Like he went, he went extremely candid in this interview and didn't have to, didn't have to. It wasn't anybody saying, you know what we haven't heard uh, Sean Payton say in a long time. Like nobody, nobody, he just, he's just honest to himself and he's honest to his players. He's honest to the culture of the players. You know, two weeks ago, two weeks before, um, Sean Payton did that interview. They had Demario Davis on. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that Demario Davis talked about was Sean Payton's commitment to the culture, which isn't just about like, you know, the fog machine and the light machines and everything like that, but like his commitment to driving those conversations, his commitment to reinspecting himself and saying, what I, you know, you can get, I think he said something along the lines of like, you can get to this point to where you're comfortable and you feel like you're doing everything right, but you could be doing something that's unintentionally hurting somebody. So you have to stop and ask yourself that question. What am I doing? Like, what the hell, man? Like, that's not something you like, what, please name one other NFL head coach who has said anything remotely close. Yeah, to self-reflection that. is not <laughs> something that you hear from NFL coaches. That's so, not saying that's, that. Yeah. And that's a hard part of the conversation to drive when you're talking to a friend. You know what I mean? Like this is somebody that can easily remove himself from those situations because of the fact that he's not affected by it, but he's not allowing himself to do it because the people that he cares about are affected by it. You know, 80% of his team structure is is affected by it. And I say team structure because it's the roster, but also the coaches and, and everybody else that's around there. The the facility, like the people that work in the facility, like all those people that we don't know about that he sees every day, he knows that they're affected by it. So he's he's continued to be uh, vocal about it. And I think that it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm glad that we can take a moment to acknowledge it because it's important. Is it perfect? No, you know what I mean? Like I said, like there's some vocabulary things that you kind of like, yeah, you ain't gotta say it like that. But does that, does it matter anyway? Yes. Because the, the effort is sincere. Right. And I would say five years ago, I couldn't have imagined Sean Payton having these conversations. And we talked a lot about how he's gotten more open, but it's also, um, it's not just about the football, as you said, it's it, these issues around the world and these other things. I think Sean Payton is in that place where it's it, that self-reflection has led him to adapt as a coach in allowing people to have more say um, and not being stuck in a particular pattern. We've seen it in the way he's changed to adapt to Teddy, the way he t- changed to adapt to Taysom, the way he's changed um, offensive and defensive principles, allowing Dennis Allen to really tailor that defense the way he wanted. He has not been a micromanager, which is something that I, at one point in his career, I might've said about him and said, Sean Payton has to have his hands on everything mm-hmm. in that building. Well, now I think his, his imprint is everywhere in that building. His finger, right. his DNA is everywhere in that building, but he is not 
running this as an overlord. I think he views it as something that is that grows and changes from year to year. Even if you bring back the majority of the guys, it's still a different team. And I think he's looking at those things. And as many coaches do not, like I said, he is further examining the humanity of his players yep. and how important it is to create a work environment where they feel heard and you contrast that to what's happening in Baton Rouge with LSU and how players say that they do not feel heard by Ed Orgeron on these types of things. And you have not heard statements from Ed Orgeron about these things. And when they have been statements, they've been incredibly clunky and tone deaf Mm -hmm. for Sean Payton to do this in the highest, highest profile job in this state and, and be one of the top two or three coaches in the NFL talking about these things as a white coach. It's right. one thing for Mike Tomlin to be out there doing it. It's one thing 100%. for Brian Flores to be out there doing right. it. But we need the the Sean Paytons of the world saying these things and to say it in as blunt a fashion of saying, I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you take away my Quiznos, my Subway, whatever. Right. These <laughs> indoors, I'm good. I got to live with me. Right. And I got to live with these guys. Yep. And and how they view me when I walk into the building, I want it to be I want to be viewed with integrity. That's in those words. And I, I, it makes it makes me value him more than I yes. did. Yeah. In, 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 in years past. Yeah. Big time. I could accept him as a football coach, but now I am much more because Sean Payton had his mis- missteps as a person. Mm-hmm. He had a number of them at a time that could have gotten him in, in trouble in another place, in another city. But as he said, winning cures everything. But in this case, winning is doing something far more valuable in allowing him to take that these stances and and be unapologetic. Yeah, I love the he shared an anecdote about, you know, they asked him about who are his biggest influences and things like that. And he talked about his high school coach who, if I remember the quote correctly, was uh, there was a quote that his high school coach had put at the front of his book to where it was something like, um, you know, it, it, it takes less, it's easier to, or it's, or it takes less energy to care than to try to convince people that you care. And this is, that's, you know, you talked about how it's genuine. It's, it's real. Like the, the things that he cares about, the things that he's sharing, that's the big difference, right? It's a, it's a huge difference because he genuinely cares as opposed to, oh, I had this misstep and now I need to correct myself. You know what I mean? I need, I need it to be public. I need everybody to see it and things like that, which good to do that. Don't get me wrong, but you have to, it has to be authentic. And I, I don't think that there's a coach right now that's having the same types of conversations that he's having from the venue and from the perspective that he, that he has them um, across the NFL. And it's funny. It's like the last three weeks in particular, we've kind of ended on Sean Payton topics mm-hmm. um, and I, like I said, I just I appreciate him more this year. I do. I really yeah. do. And I hope he does get serious consideration for Coach of the Year. It feels like that loss hurts, um, of course. And if they don't get the number one seed, that'll hurt too because yeah. this is a storyline-driven thing. But nobody's worked harder this season and nobody's gotten their team in position to win um, as well as he has from a, on a week-to-week basis considering the schedule that they've had, the injury challenges that they've had, and, again, losing Drew Brees for what now looks like at least five weeks. Right. You no, know, we don't even know if he'll be back for the Minnesota game. So, um, yeah, it's I, I just think he's done an exceptional job this season. And no matter how it turns out, whether they win the Super Bowl or not, um, I consider this season um, a successful season right now because the Saints have just handled every challenge with professionalism and uh, and just a, a, a grit 
that you wanted to see out of your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen something special from Sean Payton, particularly over these last couple of years, because there was always that conversation, right? Is it Sean Payton or is it Drew Brees? Um, and recently it's been Sean Payton, Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. <laughs> and I think that if they, if they win Sunday, like if they, if they knock off the chiefs, they find a way to win that game, uh, regardless of how it looks, doesn't matter if it's pretty, doesn't matter if it's ugly, if they win that game, seeing that the, the Pittsburgh Steelers just dropped two in a row late in the season after going 11 and 0, I think that, that, that helps to boost that conversation in Sean Payton's favor at the end of the season. Yep, I, I do too. Um, we'll see what happens this Sunday. Um, it's, I'm just, <laughs> this, could, this is a one. game that's either going to go really, really bad. Like it feels like it's either going to be one of those or it's one that the Saints are there right at the end and have an opportunity to win it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's a game. The Saints aren't going to roll over the Chiefs. That's not going to happen. But it, it, it comes down to, like you said, it, can they not make the mistakes? Can they sustain drives? Can they be on the field for five and six minutes? Because it's one thing when Drew Brees is leading a three-minute drive because you feel like we're going to have right. a couple more of those. Yes. <laughs> but with Taysom Hill, it's we may need some six-minute drives here. We're going yeah. to need – this is this is a Latavius Murray moment. This is a Cap yes. Alvin Kamara moment. This is a Mike Thomas moment. These are games yeah. where you want to see Mike get eight to ten catches. You want to see mm-hmm. – um, Latavius get 12 to, to 20 carries. Carries, yeah, um, absolutely. Those are really important in this game. And the Saints just have to be physical at the point of attack consistently uh, throughout this game. Again, it's not going to be about getting hits on Mahomes. You ain't going to hit right. him. Right. But you got to move him. Yeah. And and you have to, I mean, the 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 Miami Dolphins last week proved that it is, you can, you can rattle him. You can rally. You can put him in a situation to where he'll make a mistake over and over again. You can put him in a position to where he'll try to outrun you and drop 33 yards on a sack. Like you have to be able to replicate some of that. And that all comes from you. Talk about point of attack on the offense and defensive side and the line of scrimmage. It all comes down to that. It's, it comes down to being able to win and uh, at the line of scrimmage and look, They've got some injuries right now on the offensive line. And I know, I feel like we have said this three or four times this season that the Saints have to take advantage of lesser talent on the offensive lines. We've only been able to see them do it against Atlanta in the first game. Mm -hmm. That's the only time that we've seen them really take advantage of health on the offensive line. They need to be able to do that in this game. They need to be able to do it. And it's at, I mean, and they're at premier positions that we're we're talking about tackles. We're talking about bookends that they're down to third string people. The Saints have to be able to make plays. They have to be able to make plays at the defensive line and get after Patrick Mahomes. Well, we will be back next week to talk about that one and see how they are positioned um, to face Minnesota on that Friday night. Uh, it's whew, that that turnaround uh, um, five get five days, yeah. and then I guess it's to, better than having a Thursday night game, but it's on Christmas, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the and the Pelicans are playing that same day too. Yo, that that is that is my Christmas right there. Yeah, like, we're not because Pelicans. Pelican, it, it, you get the Pelicans at noon. Right, like they're the first game of the day. I think it's eleven o'clock, maybe mm-hmm. um, on Christmas Day, and then you get the Saints in the in the evening. So yeah, oh, it's it's, it's going to be a, a great New Orleans sports day. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, ain't we no, ain't, I'm going to go. I might. We might go and visit family if it's safe to do that. But ain't none of them going to see me. Not on Christmas Day. Yeah, my I mean, wife's talking about having feel. a small gathering at the house. You know, yeah. a, a couple of friends and stuff. Sure. And I'm like. I might be in the office. If yeah, y'all gonna know watching. where to find me. It's gonna be <laughs> like this is the thing, and it's just it's it's gonna be all women at my house. 
This is gonna be my daughter, my wife, my mother-in-law, right. my wife's best friend, and her daughter. Yeah. And I'm sorry, it's not it's not to be sexist or anything. It's just that there is a limit that I can have because I'm going to want to talk about the things that I cover. I'm going right. to be watching that game. I'm going you to don't be have anybody to talk to. And yeah, yeah neither, none of them care about what I'm talking about. <laughs> so it's like. These are the times that I'm like, man, I wish I had a son, but I, <laughs> I love my daughter and she, she just doesn't love football. She doesn't love basketball as much as I do. Yeah. So, but none of, none of them, none of them like, like football. My wife is much more it. of a basketball fan. She well, yeah, but she's going she's, she's to be hosting, right? Like she's going to be. Yeah. All right. I guess. She likes right? the like, Celtics. You know, I don't know. <laughs> that's before we met. That's before we met. You know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't have no influence yeah. over that. And I'm like, so yeah. you, you, you like a team that I hate my whole life. The Celtics. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> but she doesn't, she, she'll go to baseball games with me. Um, yeah. She's been to a few Saints games with me. Yeah. But by, by about the middle of the third quarter, she, she'll tap me on the shoulder. Like, can we go home now? Like, We're done okay. here. We're done here. Yeah. Doesn't she's, matter. What's gonna be. She's yeah. She's gonna be busy too. Like if it was one of the guests that was coming over that had you know the interest and everything like that, that's one thing. But like you know, she's gonna be occupied. Yeah. Like yeah. imagine following her around all day and trying to talk about Zion Williamson. Like that's just not the situation. That's not the situation no. either. You need. <laughs> like, like, she, she, you know, I get on her and and I, I don't know if you do the same, but I'm like Desiree. Have you listened to my podcast? You know, uh-huh. I'm like just babe, you know, with you know, my wife. I don't, yeah, do you same. check it out? What do you think? You don't what have do to think? listen to all of them, but she's like, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. Ninety percent of the times, so I don't really check it out. It depends on the guest. So if I have a female guest who's talking about like what Angie Thomas was on, she loved that yeah. one because she could relate to those topics. Right, right. But if it's just sports, if I if I'm doing a hardcore sports episode, she, mm-hmm. she's she may get thirty seconds in and it's like, nah, I passed on. She's that. like, the audio quality is fantastic. Yeah, I, like, I need you to be at least be like my mom. You know, I said, like, mom at least would be like, You're doing so good, baby. You're doing so good, I baby. I love you. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, Ross, tell folks what else you got going this week. I mean, you've been busy, man. And uh, and he gets it doesn't slow down. It does not slow down. It's been wild. It's been wild, man. But things are good. Uh, you know, so daily, every Monday through Friday over at uh, Locked on Saints, of course, uh, write-ups coming over at uh, Canal Street Chronicles and uh, shooting some videos now. We're doing video content over on the Canal Street Chronicles YouTube page as well. So you can check that out. Uh, and then, uh, of course, being here with you on the week has been awesome. Uh, I'll be on ESPN Radio tomorrow with Gus Cattengill around uh, around one fifteen. Um, ch- talking with him, chopping it up about, you know, this, this loss and looking ahead to uh, what is going to be, let's just say a very interesting game uh, against Kansas city. So, you know, got a lot. I ain't, more I ain't, if you're a gambler, don't week. put no money down on this. Don't put no money on this. Don't put stay away from this. It. Just watch, just watch and enjoy mm-hmm. you yourself a parlay somewhere else where you're a little bit more confident, like have a good time, but you ain't got to worry about this one. Let this one go. Yeah, Saints fans, this is one to just enjoy. Just try to yeah. enjoy yourself. I know that's not the Saints credo of Saints fans credo. It's it's nearly die every 30 minutes. You know, right. that's, that's that's the way we were raised on this team. Right. So um, but please, please enjoy your weekend and yeah. watch that game. Yeah, for <laughs> and y'all know how to follow me at DM Grub. And um, please check out the website HITP with the uh, G.com. And Friday, I will be on um, Good Day Louisiana with Marlon Favorite talking about the Saints and the Chiefs. So y'all can check that out as well. Um, so for my friend, Ross Jackson, uh, I am David Grubb, and this has been the Dome Patrol on Hard to Paint. We'll talk to y'all next week. Wait, 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 wait.